the Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the first Evolve to Succeed podcast of 2021. I hope you and your loved ones have had a restful festive season and feel refreshed and eager to keep pursuing meaningful personal and business success into the new year. My guest this week is Tracy Howes, founder of Blue Mind Social, a social media consultancy business based in Bournemouth. Tracy has had an incredibly varied professional journey, starting in retail in her native South Africa, then becoming a booker for a modelling agency where she also spent time in front of the camera herself. And then she moved to the UK 21 years ago and worked in both the hospitality and luxury product sectors before moving into social media, marketing and eventually founding Blue Mind. However, social media training is not Tracy's only passion. She started freediving two years ago and is now fully qualified and competitive. The phrase blue mind is used to describe the calm state of mind you achieve when you immerse yourself in water. This philosophy forms part of Tracy's approach to her own life as well as her day-to-day consultancy work. As you'll hear, Tracy's had a fascinating journey and continues to adapt, grab opportunities and push herself outside of her comfort zone, whether it's professionally or with her free diving. In this podcast, Tracy talks about the value of a peer network, especially for young entrepreneurs. I think it's very, very important that especially young people coming into the workforce, they are given opportunities to network and shown how to do it. Because once they know, and I've seen this happen, they fly. Discusses the intriguing and scientifically proven benefits of being in or near water. Our minds are calmed. And it allows us to access the default mode network, also known as our daydreaming parts of our brains, which restores our ability to focus and perform creative tasks with greater ease. Describes how her experience with freediving has profoundly affected her personal and professional outlook. If you do something like freediving, it could be anything that makes you challenge yourself you become braver in other parts of your life and you start believing that you're capable of more. If you want to know more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Tracy, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. It's great to be here. It's great to have you as a guest on the podcast. I think there's two areas of conversation that I want to have with you today, Tracy. One is around uh, freediving and the other is around your new business, Blue Mind. So you've actually been on a really interesting journey though yourself. So perhaps before we sort of delve into the worlds of freediving and the business Blue Mind, looking at your background, you know, starting off in South Africa in retail, moving to a booker for a modeling agency, doing some modeling work yourself and styling in between. And then I understand you moved to the UK 21 years ago, working in the hospitality and luxury sectors, doing marketing, social media along the way, and helping clients navigate their way through 
social media now with your last consultancy business, but now the new business recently launched, Blue Mind. I really can't remember somebody that I've spoken to on this podcast recently that's had such a diverse, broad variety of careers. And I just wonder, is that circumstance or just the case of you always wanting to constantly challenge, change and adapt? I would say it's both, Warren. Uh, If I go back to when I left school in South Africa, um, I'd always wanted to study fashion design. That was my passion at the time. But due to circumstances, I wasn't able to do that. So I actively sought out work opportunities that would allow me to work in the creative and fashion environments. And my very first job was as a visual merchandiser for a store which I could say is very similar to a John Lewis. And we would do all sorts of things like building bedroom suites out of cardboard boxes for window displays and learning how to style wigs for mannequins. And that was quite fun because my mother's a hairdresser. So, you know, I was pretty good at that. (laughs) Um, And at the time, and, you know, when you reflect on these things, I had two senior managers who essentially mentored me and gave me the, the courage and encouragement to continue. And during that time, I also joined a model agency and ended up working across the country, Durban, Johannesburg, Cape Town, doing shows, I worked on photo shoots, and I absolutely immersed myself in that. I loved it because I could bring all my creative skills, but I was learning makeup and styling, which came in handy because it helped me earn extra revenue when I was saving up to come to the UK. So... I arrived in the UK in 1999. I was still working as a model, which gave me the opportunity to travel, which is a big thing for South Africans because we're on the other side of the world, you know, and 20 years ago, the option to go to Europe and the US was very attractive. So I was able to travel to the US, Europe. I even went to South Korea, which was phenomenal. I bet that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like the biggest culture shock you can imagine and the most wonderful people. Although to this day, I still cannot stand the taste of kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and while I was doing that, I worked um, in hospitality. It was the, the one area where you had flexible hours. And I worked across the board, delis, private catering. I worked in restaurants like the Bluebird and Chelsea, which was just packed to the brim with celebrities and Funnily enough, I remember Robbie Williams walking in one day and I didn't know who he was. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't very big in South Africa then. (laughs) Probably not at that time, no. Um, Although I did recognize Kylie Minogue and that made me laugh, which was was fun. I also worked for, it was two people who became, again, mentors for me. And they set up a private members club. And it was at the time when the nightclub scene in London was absolutely huge. Ministry of Sound, The End, The Cross. I mean, these were like big clubs that were absolutely smashing it. And one of the founders of the private club was James Lorne, who founded Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the hotel guidebooks. Yes. We've had his wife speak to us at our conferences. Yeah. It's an amazing story, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And they're a great couple in how they've worked together and molded their skill sets that they've got to create this great, unique business, isn't it? It was just phenomenal. And James and I shared an office and I've watched him grow that business from an idea. And as a, you know, just watching somebody develop, I learned so much from him. 
Um, and it was just a brilliant opportunity. And after I finished working with that business, I then worked in the luxury sector. I was approached by a high-end corporate concierge company to work alongside them. Because during this time, I built up a really interesting mixture in terms of a network from hospitality, from the club scene. And I met my next boss through this business who set up the first pan-European network for luxury brands. And my role there was to manage membership, organize events and conferences in the UK and Europe. And if you think about networking, this is a time, so 2004, when networking was still fairly new in the UK. Um, and we had all the marketing directors of luxury brands coming to events and collaborating. It was a brilliant learning experience. And I remember being really nervous, but over, you know, four and a half years that I did that, I again grew my network and developed relationships with some very interesting, diverse people. Once again, and I think this will be an ongoing theme, my boss at the time was a mentor for me. He knew I had a passion to eventually have my own business and he encouraged that. So in 2010, I launched my first business and I remember sitting on my lounge floor with lots of pieces of paper around me, thinking about all the things I loved that I think that in terms of, you know, the food industry, restaurants, hotels, clubs, drinks, and actually meeting producers of all of these amazing products. I'd volunteered with a charity called Slow Food at the time, and that educated me in subjects like, such as regenerative agriculture and organic food production and the whole farm-to-plate concept. And, you know, I, over 10 years, I think I'd gone to every food and drink show in London that I could find just to meet people and understand the industry. So when I was sitting on that lounge floor and writing all these things down, I wanted to create a business around food and marketing. And out of that was born my marketing consultancy for independent restaurants and bars. And I believe at the time I was one of the first people to do that because there were loads of PR agencies, but nobody really focusing 100% on marketing and social media. So I decided I'm going to do that myself. And I've had, I had that business for nine years. And as with all of these things, they develop organically. So four years after launch, I was approached by Le Cordon Bleu, which has their international culinary school in London. And they wanted to develop a social media marketing module as part of their culinary diploma course, which I did for them. And I delivered that over four years to hundreds of incredible international students. It was such an exhilarating experience and real recognition for the work that I had done and I could then share with others. So moving ahead, you know, again, <laughs> another yeah. opportunity pops up. Um, a business partner, uh, well, a new business partner and I, he had seen the work I'd done with the Luxury Marketing Council. And we were both working in the restaurant industry at the time. And we created the London Restaurant Network, which was a partnership because we were frustrated that we couldn't find a way to meet with our peers to share ideas and best practice. So we created our own network and that ran for four years and it brought together hospitality professionals from all over London in marketing, PR, events, food tech, recruitment. And the model for that business was 
monthly events with industry speakers and the two of us making strategic introductions. And we never paid for our speakers. We just approached their PRs. We had people like Marcus Waring, Michelle Rue Jr., Tom Akins, people who were really big names in the industry. And over time, they could see that we had built up this network and they saw it as a way of giving back to the community. And it worked wonderfully, you know, and our events were sold out. It was the most phenomenal um, experience. And I think a piece of my heart will always belong to hospitality because it's been so good to me over the years. And that leads me up to, you know, present time. You know, after 19 years in London, I made the decision to move to Bournemouth to be closer to my family and have a change of pace because at that time I was running two businesses you know, I was working almost seven days a week. It was, you know, to the point where I think my my mental and physical health started to suffer and I needed to take care of myself. And a change was needed. And my family just kept saying, come down to Bournemouth. You know, you love the beach. You miss the ocean. Come, come down. So I just thought, actually, this is exactly what I need to do. And I moved down in 2018 and I just took stock, you know, physical, mental, emotional health is so important for any entrepreneur. And, you know, I closed the the, the, the restaurant network. I made a conscious decision to explore other avenues in the local SME community. Um, so I started working with all sorts of different businesses and the whole of South England is such a diverse, thriving community of, of business owners. And that's what I did for the last year. And towards the end of 2019, I had decided that I actually wanted to niche my business down. Instead of being full service marketing, events, PR, social, I want to focus on the one area that people always asked for support with. And that was social media. And I was in the process of working out how that would look and then COVID hit us, which was a real shocker. However, losing 50% of your clients and your income, you get over that and you go, okay, what am I going to do now? And what has given me this year is the time to really think about how Blue Mind Social would look. And that is where we are right now. So Tracy, that was a really interesting story and journey that you've got. And it's what I suppose of you submersing yourself in whatever you're doing, focusing on what you're doing, and then absolutely seeing the opportunities and taking the opportunities as they came. But there's a couple of points that I take out of that. And one is your, you talk about the power of mentors, Tracy, and I think at least five, you've talked about at least five mentors you've had on your journey. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered what effect they have had on you and how you'd recommend interacting with mentors and how you found those mentors, if you don't mind touching on that. Of course. I think in my very early career, I didn't actually know what a mentor was. So it's only on reflection that you realize that these people came into your life and were there to support you. Um, but there's a very strong argument for the fact that you you don't just approach someone and say, can you mentor me? It's almost an organic process. For me, it was very much the fact that I was employed by these people and we just had a strong bond and I would ask a lot of questions and they would answer all my questions and constantly supported that. And I think 
when I say organic, it comes from if you show a strong interest in something and, and some other people recognize that in you, it's the good ones that will say, how can I help you be a better version of what you are, you know, and constantly asking for support and help. So all of those, you know, I don't remember ever once sitting down with someone saying, can you mentor me? You know, that might be different now where you have organizations that assign you a mentor. But for me, it happened very organically. But I think it comes back to being curious and, and constantly asking, asking questions. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think I like that being inquisitive. And then the person that you're interacting with, that you built the relationship with wanting to be supportive and responding and and I suppose you then responding by taking action. I've I've got three, four individuals that, you know, in my own journey, I would say have been fundamental to me and have been mentors. And all of those have been organic relationships that have grown over time and they've developed. Mm-hmm. And you just have a coffee, you spend a bit of time together, you interact. And and you do, you just ask questions and and actually the clever ones ask you the questions back in such a way that you work the answers out for yourself. But yes. <laughs> um and then you also talk about the the network, you know, the meeting peers to learn and share, Tracy. And that's clearly something that's really important to evolve. And it's just, you know, what benefits did you see about bringing like-minded people together? I think the first time I, I, I saw it practically in action was when I worked at the Luxury Marketing Council, because it was the business itself was formulated on bringing people together with a common goal and looking for ways to collaborate. And when I watched that process, something inside of me just clicked. And I'm naturally a very social person. I enjoy communicating with people. I'm very happy to be in a room and talk to anyone. Whereas I think a lot of people may be quite introvert, quite shy, doesn't take away from the fact that I was really nervous the first couple of events I did. But when people get to know you and you are who you are, you are your, your genuine self. You don't put on a face and you know, you're like corporate Tracy or free diver Tracy or social media Tracy. You'd just be Tracy, right? People naturally respond to that. Again, asking questions, you know, this is referrals for me, even though we can now use tools like LinkedIn. And I think that's why I have such a natural fit for, for working in social media. You have to have an appreciation of those connections and, and how to develop that. Because I can say quite honestly, hand on my heart, all of my businesses have been through referral networking. That's how I've developed them. So I think it's very, very important that especially young people coming into the workforce, they are given opportunities to network and shown how to do it. Because once they know, and I've seen this happen, they fly. And there's a, there's a sense of pride that you've created this network for yourself and these, that these people are actually willing to help. But it's a constant ongoing process. You can't just meet someone and then that's it. Never follow up. Don't speak to them. You know, you've really got to put the effort in and it pays, it pays rewards. It is, but you've actually touched on some things that resonates with me. And I talked to some of the uh, younger team members in our you know, in Evolve and Inspire about is actually it's about getting out there and being yourself. Mm. And you may be shy, but, you know, and you may be not natural in those scenarios, but actually people warm to people that are themselves. And actually you far far often see those individuals that go in there just trying to swap business cards and, you know, they come and they go. And then 
the great thing is when you see somebody that perhaps was shy the first two, three times they were part of a network and, but they, they, they are themselves and they, they show that and people respond to that and actually just have human conversations and relationships grow. And that's how these networks grow. And that's how you get longevity of value out of those relationships. So Tracy, I absolutely agree with what you're saying there. Something else, last question, perhaps, before we move on to Blue Mind and the freediving stuff on your, your story and journey. Do you think you are always destined to run your own business? Absolutely. <laughs> no and doubt. what was that? Is that independence of mind? Is that a strength of character, a drive to do that? Why do you think that was? I've thought about this a lot over the years. Um, you know, I would say it feels instinctive to me. I enjoyed being employed and learning but I was chomping at the bit to do my own thing. And I'm a creative person. I'm curious. I'm always, as I say, asking questions, but I also like to be in control of my destiny. And, you know, what I've had to learn over the years and sometimes the hardest lesson to learn is that you cannot do everything yourself. So my nature is very typically, you know, I, I, I like to be the leader of the pack. I like to have great ideas. I like to implement them and I like to see them through but all of that doesn't work unless you have support around you. But I think the other thing I would say is that coming from South Africa, you know, growing up before Nelson Mandela was released, you know, going through a lot of political turmoil, a lot of people at that time, you know, were forced to be entrepreneurial in order to survive in their businesses. And, you know, perhaps this could be applied to anywhere in the world where there's political upheaval, but it does bring out the best and worst in people. And I think if you're given an opportunity to thrive and be independent, absolutely take it and run with it. And perhaps it is part of my nature, but I think, yeah, external environment definitely has an impact. Brilliant. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, Blue Mind, as I understand it, is named after a book by the same name by Wallace J. Nichols. Yes. And and it's about the effects water has upon us, how proximity to water can improve creativity, health, and even professional success. And you talk about the move to Bournemouth during this story on your journey to be closer to the sort of sea and the oceans. So what are some of the most important things you took from the book and how have you translated them into the work that you do, Tracy? Well, I have to first say Wallace J. Nichols' book felt like it had been written for me. That's how personal it felt. And I chose the name Blue Mind Social because Blue Mind itself is a concept um, that he created. And he talks about three different types of mindsets in the book. Blue Mind is calm. Um, and it's also related to a very, when you focus your time in nature, you create that blue mind. You've got red mind, which is anxiety, fear, and stress. And then you've got gray mind, which is complete burnout. So you can, you know, that explains most business owners. We've all gone through <laughs> yeah. all those phases. Through, and you just don't want to be settled. You know, I personally have felt all three of them, perhaps the, the latter two strongly, yeah. when there was not enough balance in my, in my life. And the other parts of the other points that came out for me were the fact that and all of this is scientifically proven. Um, he did a lot of brain scans, chemical testing. Being in or near water, our minds are calmed and it allows us to access the default mode network, 
or also known as our daydreaming parts of our brains, which restores our ability to focus and perform creative tasks with greater ease. And there's a sense of happiness that's evoked in humans when we are near to water, which applies regardless of socioeconomic factors. You know, and when you actually immerse yourself in water, the body sends out signals that are similar to meditation or relaxation. So essentially what's happening is that there is increased neuroplasticity for the things that we pay attention to. And all human beings, you know, we want more happiness in our lives. And for the long term, happiness is described as this attainment of personal goals and adoption of meaningful activities. So if you think about it that way, why wouldn't you want to apply this to your work by pursuing something that's meaningful to you? I think that's a very powerful message. It is, isn't it? I'm going to go and read that book over the uh, Christmas and New Year period because <laughs> I'm fascinated now. Even Please read it. Short... <laughs> yeah, I like that concept of the blue, red and grey minds as well. So mm. I will go and read the book over the next couple of weeks. So, And that, was it as a result of reading the book that made you start free diving two years ago? No, actually, it's an it's a, it's a interesting story. I, so I grew up in Durban. I've always enjoyed being in water, whether it's swimming, snorkeling, paddleboarding. We had a swimming pool at our house. And I used to remember, I remember as a child, I'd hold my nose and sit underwater for as long as possible. And I loved doing that. Jump ahead to living in London. And you think, wow, there's no ocean in London. What was she doing no. there? <laughs> Pursuing my career. Um I decided in 2012 I wanted to get qualified as a scuba diver because I wanted to dive in Thailand. So I did that, and I, I kind of went through the levels. And I sort of, after 2012, I just I kind of lost interest. And I thought, no, I want to get back into it. So I went along to the London Dive Show in 2015, and I met a free diver and experienced a simulated free dive session. And I was totally hooked. Because the one issue I had with scuba diving was the fact that you were so encumbered with equipment. Mm. And I thought, this is what I want to do. You know, a lot of people watch the big blue and go, that's why I want to be a free diver. But as beautiful as that film was, that wasn't my inspiration. Um, I think it's always been within me. And then when I met someone who said, actually, you can learn how to do this properly, I was totally hooked. And I remember Googling <laughs> free diving clubs when I moved to Bournemouth. <laughs> and fortunately, one popped up in pool. Um, with there a, is one. There's, wow. there's a free diving club in pool. Like the, the universe was listening to me. And I joined the club and I committed in 2018, after I finished my course, I committed to a whole year of training every week and entered two national competitions I placed fourth in my first competition, which is my in my preferred discipline, which was no fins. And it just totally blew my mind that my body was capable of this. And it, it kind of went all the way back to being a child in that swimming pool, holding my breath underwater and feeling incredibly empowered and also very peaceful. It's still a very niche sport, though. Um, it hasn't been yet recognized at the Olympic Games, although they're trying but it's very much an ageless sport and with sufficient time and effort, you can absolutely progress because your body will adapt. Yeah. And that's something I just want to sort of touch on really, because how do you actually train? Obviously, you know, the water around the UK, 
the COVID restrictions in the last nine, 12 months. Do you adopt similar kind of breathing exercises to perhaps that you would use for sort of breathing and meditation? How does it, how do you actually train and how do you enable your body to sort of enable you to, as I understand it, hold your breath for over three and a half minutes? Well, there is a science to it, of course, but to put it in perspective, you know, if you hold your breath and swim underwater, you are essentially free diving. Um, Surfers do that all the time, especially when they get pulled under by the waves. But learning to free dive involves very similar to Paddy Scuba courses, theory, pool training, open water, and of course, rigorous safety training. But the key to free diving is to relax. If If you can't relax your mind and your body, you cannot perform. That does mean it is a meditative state that you get your mind Absolutely. and body into then. You know, and with depth training, it's it's even more essential because you have to learn how to equalize your ears and the training becomes a lot more complex the deeper you go because you need to manage the air from your lungs into your eustachian tubes and your throat and your mouth to prevent injury. But to answer your question about, you know, how, to, how it works, you know, for me, it took me six months of, training almost every you know day to get to the point where I can hold my breath for three and a half minutes and I'm I continue to train the men's world record is 11 and a half minutes and the women's world record is nine minutes nine minutes and 11 and a half minutes as world records that's phenomenal yeah and that's for static unassisted breath holds so they, they don't inhale oxygen beforehand which gives you even more a longer breath hold but when, as part of our training, we combine lung and diaphragm stretches with specific types of yoga breathing. And essentially what we're doing is becoming comfortable with the discomfort of increased CO2 levels in our body. So it's very much a mental game as, as a physical. Because the one thing with free diving, as soon as you hold your breath and you go underwater, your fight or flight response activates and your fears come rushing to the fore. You know, so if you've had a bad day, you won't be able to hold your breath. I've seen it over and over again in the pool with with divers getting in very agitated and they just cannot perform because their mind takes over. There's specific things that happen to your body when you go into the, the state. So as mammals, we're all born with the mammalian dive response, which is an evolutionary adaption. So when you immerse your face in water and you, you hold your breath, the MDR activates and it triggers our bodies to conserve oxygen and protect our organs if we dive deep. And this is the same thing that whales and seals have. A little bit of science behind it, so which I think is interesting for people to, to hear. It's um, The things that happen is, first of all, bradycardia sets in, which is the lowering of the heart rate because the slower heart rate conserves oxygen. Then you have something called peripheral vasoconstriction, which is where blood flow from your arms and legs moves away and closer to your your main organs. And then finally, blood shift. And blood shift is very interesting for depth diving, which is and answers the question why free divers' lungs don't get crushed, because the blood moves away from the limbs to the vital organs, and the blood that op- occupies the empty space prevents the lungs from compressing and it's incredible that our bodies have the ability to do this and then the spleen releases extra blood into the circulatory system so you have more oxygen in your blood so you know 
all of that happens when you're in water. But when you are out of water and you're doing what we call dry training, we actively use yoga nasal breathing techniques and breath hold very gradually over time. And what you will find is you hold your breath for, I don't know, you, let's say you start with, with 30 seconds, then you move up to 45, then you move up to a minute, and you never go beyond your comfort zone. And as soon as that urge to breathe kicks in, you breathe again. And if you do this on a regular basis, you can eventually increase your breath hold. But you do need to manage your mind because if your mind takes over and the fight and flight response kicks in, you know, it's very easy just to give up and start breathing again. So it is a mind game more than anything. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I'm absolutely fascinated <laughs> by the science and the nature of it. And is there generally health benefits for when you're on land living everyday life from undertaking some of these breathing exercises, Tracy? Absolutely. Um, I can say very honestly that I really struggled with anxiety towards the probably more, more so towards the end of my time in London. And when I moved to Bournemouth, I wanted to find ways to manage that anxiety and free diving gave that to me. You know, I did look at all sorts of other therapies and options, but as soon as I was in the water, all of these wonderful things activated. My heart rate came down. The yoga breathing gave me this power to, to increase my breath hold. And I practice daily because it enables me to maintain an equanimity. And also when really stressful situations arise, you don't, you don't arise with them. You actually, you can take a much more rational approach. And with regular practice, you can retrain your brain because it, it, it comes back to that point of increased neuroplasticity for what we pay the most attention to. So by training the breath, this is a gift you can give yourself, essentially. Brilliant. Thank you, Tracy. One last question around the free diving, and I'm, I think you might say it's relaxation and peace, but what emotions are you feeling just before you take in that last breath and go under the water? For me, it, it, it's absolute peace. It, it's like that feeling just before you fall asleep. And essentially what you're doing is surrendering to your environment and trusting your body and the training to move you through the water. So for me, when I'm down, say, 20 meters and I'm looking up at the surface and the sun is coming through the, the, the water and I'm, I am in a meditative state, I'm aware of what's around me, I'm conscious of my safety, but I'm super, super relaxed. And I cannot tell you how incredible that feels. Yeah, I can't even imagine, but I'm starting to, I think. I mean, fascinating. And, and it's interesting to you, you see that, you know, you've, you've had that successful career, you've had the successful sort of entrepreneurial journey with your previous consultancy, and you've just got to, to a time in life where actually reflection was really important. And you found free diving and it actually not just the sport itself, but what it brings to you as an individual and your state of mind has enabled you to create this new business, uh, Blue Mind Social. So do you want, I'm just intrigued to see how you've taken some of those learnings from perhaps the book, but in particular your sort of free diving experience and learnings over the last two years into the new business, Tracy. Well, I think one thing I'd like to say is that 
if you do something like free diving, it can be anything that makes you challenge yourself. You become braver in other parts of your life and you start believing that you're capable of more. And, you know, my belief is, well, why shouldn't you? And this is what I found incredibly powerful this year with launching Blue Mind Social was that I felt brave, I thought, and resilient. I thought, you know what? I've gone through all these things. I've come out the other side and I feel like I can do anything, you know. And for me, sitting with planning for Blue Mind Social, literally it took me five and a half months from starting to to write the business plan to launch which probably would not have happened if it wasn't for COVID because we obviously had a lot more time. And the whole point of the business was to inspire and train other entrepreneurs and teams to embrace social media and manage it themselves. I wanted to focus on the three main channels that I worked on, which was Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and teach clients how to tap into developing relationships online taking all that networking experience I've had. And, you know, essentially it's about human behavior. How can you behave in such a way, you know, in a positive way that it impacts on you positively and those around you. And the cream of the, on the cake is that yes, it will generate sales and more than anything, you will feel confident about your abilities in order to grow your business using social. I think it's absolutely vital especially now as more businesses embrace the online space and e-commerce that, you know, you understand how to manage your reputation for one thing and how to continue to build relationships. And I try to explain this to <laughs> potential clients when we have our initial calls, you know, I can give them a, three packages to choose from, but essentially why are they doing it? You know, so you kind of have to dig a bit deeper. It can be used as a sales tool, relationship building. They all, they all connected. So yeah, it get, you know, the free diving mindset, I think essentially gave me that, that, that push to take the leap into something new. And also I just love the process. I'm, I'm excited about starting something new and, you know, there's potential that I'll be starting something else in the new year too. So <laughs> watch the space. Watch this space. Fantastic. <laughs> One of the things that obviously resonated with the two of us and we were very aligned on earlier in the conversation was the, you know, the power of real world relationship building, networking, and by building relationships, you got referrals and, you know, you built your business, you know, I suppose maybe we're both a little old school, but, you know, that's kind of how the philosophy was. And I'm intrigued to see how do you take that philosophy into the kind of social world if you are trying to develop sort of business to business relationships, Tracy? Well, I'm a big, big believer that you need both. You know, you can't, it, it's like saying that you can automate everything. I disagree because you can automate some things, usually the things that are boring and that don't, that are just routine, but you can't automate human conversation. And for me, the sales process looks like it's, it's quite linear in some respects. I actively network across different business networks. And I would say strategic networking is, is key. So you meet someone, whether it's face-to-face -face or virtually, you follow up with a LinkedIn connection so you can check out each other's business history. 
But I'm finding more and more, especially through COVID, people are having direct message conversations, and that's where the relationship building happens. But, and not by being corporate in your response, it's by being a, a real person. And if the person on the other side of that conversation enjoys that engagement, and you say, well, shall we have another conversation? They're very likely to say yes. And following that, it may be that they they get to understand you a bit more, a little bit more about your business, and will are likely to refer you because they had a good experience on that, you know, that conversation that they had with you. In my opinion, social backs it all up. It can create the trigger for the initial conversation, but it's not the be all and end all. It's a tool that helps you get to the next space, which is conversion. So I think it has to be put across in such a way that it's it's not a flat landscape. There's so many influences, but you cannot lose the power of just human connection and conversation because essentially social media is about being social, right? It, absolutely, it is. Yeah, and, and it's a nice way to put it. And it, it's just that com- it's how it complements, isn't it? Because Ooh. I think we're all bombard- bombarded every day now by sort of LinkedIn requests and 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 you know maybe somebody that's interesting you accept the request and then you're bombarded with messages for two three days afterwards you yeah. know you know them trying to immediately turn on the sales tap and it just has this negativity to it doesn't mm. it and uh, as business owners you know does that stop us engaging with social media do you think i definitely think it has a negative impact um i have almost every conversation i have around with potential clients they've had some kind of experience that that just, you know, put them off. And fear is a problem, you know, because people think, how are people going to perceive me? And actually, it's not, it's not often the their inability to use the technical side of the channel or, you know, understanding how to advertise. It's the confidence in themselves to put themselves out there because they've had a bad experience or they just don't know how to. So I find once we get over that stumbling block, and it is just a stumbling block, and they've got the tools, they can fly, literally. And any hints and tips on building that confidence to get out there on social media as a business owner? I think if you see someone who does really well on social media, there's nothing stopping you from contacting them. You can literally send them a direct message on Instagram or LinkedIn or you know, a public message on Facebook and just say, I really like what you're doing. I'm learning. I'm looking for, you know, would you would you like to have a one-to-one with me? I'm finding now more and more people are open to that because we all love being asked for our opinion. But you can learn so much from other people. It's very easy to just do nothing. You know, that's the default setting. <laughs> we can just that's where we all go to when we go fit, get fearful, isn't it? Is yeah. revert into, into our shelves and doing nothing. So doing nothing definitely isn't the answer, is it? No. So you have to be prepared to put yourself out there and for people to actually perhaps reject you and say, no, sorry, not interested or not reply. But those are minimal. The the majority of people are happy to help. That's my experience. Fantastic. Well, really, it's been a great conversation. I'm going to end with one final question for you, Tracy. Mm -hmm. And that is, what does success mean to you? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It is. I think for me, it's being connected to myself and how I connect to the the outside world. Nature, you know, for example, has a, is, is powerful. And happiness is something we, we choose. 
we, we strive for. But if you are putting your mind and body into an environment where you can accelerate finding those things that give you joy and happiness, whether it is creating a business, learning a new skill. You know, I go back to a quote from Wallace J. Nichols' book. He says, having a biocentric perspective sees humanity as part of nature and treating it as an equal partner. So if we treat nature with the respect it deserves, it gives back to us tenfold. And for me, tying in my personal success to the world around me, it's hugely important. So success for me is a combination of how I, I look at myself in the mirror every day and how I relate to the, the world outside. And if the business is, is a success, then I've achieved my goals. Brilliant. Yeah, big question, but a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> so Tracy, if our listeners want to find out more about you and about Blue Mind Social, where can they go? They can go straight to my website, um, which is bluemind.social. Um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I'm on my channels every day, literally, maybe not so much over Christmas, but it would be a pleasure to, to have conversations with anyone that's interested in, in the subject. And also, you know, I think the last thing for me really is just to say, be, be a little braver. You never know what you can achieve. Fantastic. Be a little braver. You never know what you can achieve. That's a great note to end the podcast. Tracy, <laughs> you have been an amazing guest. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Warren. I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that conversation with Tracy. Her curiosity, determination to succeed and making those regular conscious decisions to get outside of her comfort zone and push her limits is really inspiring. I also enjoyed hearing her talk about the importance of being your genuine, authentic self and what profound impact that can have on everything and everybody around you. This really resonated with me, not only on a personal level, but that striving for authenticity and meaning in your work is very much at the core of what Evolve is focused upon when it is developing its peer groups and encouraging its supporters. I feel like this conversation with Tracy was a great way to start the new year and inspire you to set yourself new challenges in 2021 and continue to endeavour towards achieving that meaningful, all-encompassing success. If you want further access to insightful content, events and inspiration, then please do go to EvolveMembers.com and register for free to become a supporter of Evolve. You can also learn more there about the coaching services, peer groups and co-working space run by Evolve. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. And if so, please do help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week.